Support for the Exploring Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with an exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code EXPLORMINATE at manscaped.com. If my math's correct, that's about 14 million balls. 14 million balls. That's a lot of balls. <laughs> that's a lot of balls. Like I said the last time, you know you've made it when Manscaped comes to you and says, hey, would you mind? And we were happy to do so after we've tried out their products and really enjoyed them. But I mean, why would you even use Manscaped? Well, once upon a time, when I was younger and dumber, I used to trim down under with some old hair clippers. One time, the hair clippers nicked the family jewels and blood went everywhere. Uh, that sounds like a disaster. <laughs> it was a disaster. But yeah, now it's a thing of the past. <laughs> well, I had a similar experience because before I got my beard trimmer from Manscaped, I would use my regular hair clippers. And little did I know that I had taken the guard off and I shaved off my whole beard and my wife well, she didn't want to talk to me anymore. And my kids actually started crying. So now that I've got this fantastic beard trimmer from Manscaped, I know exactly how long I'm going to be able to trim my beard. It looks great. It looks so much better. And the great thing is I can do it in the shower, which also makes my wife happy because when you don't do it in the shower and you get all those hair clippings all over the sink and everything, that it's a pain to clean up. Yeah, it also reduces a cutting edge blade to reduce crimming accidents. So cuts on the skin are a thing of the past. Also included with the Manscaped package is the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. It'll change the way that you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me when I say this, fellas, your balls will thank you. <laughs> I couldn't stop. I'm sorry. I love this ad. <laughs> Can you... All right, sorry. Do it again. One more time. <clears throat> <clears throat> okay. Game face. All right. <clears throat> also included in the Manscaped package is their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. <laughs> It'll change the way you approach your hygiene routine. <laughs> it's all right. We'll get this. We'll get this. Jesus I'm going to turn off my mic, man. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Go for it. It's like you're laughing that it sets me off. Okay. Yeah. Also included with the Manscaped package is their Crop Reserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. It'll change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me when I say this, fellas. Your balls will thank you. My balls thank me. That's for sure. It's time to hear your balls. <laughs> <laughs> so forex fans if you want your balls to thank you it's time to take care of yourself at manscaped.com and get 20 percent off and free shipping with code explominate that's right get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code explominate at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off and free shipping at manscaped.com and use code explominate unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with manscaped Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And now for an Explominate interview. Stay tuned. Welcome to an Explore Minute Interview Podcast. I am your host, Rob. Forex and Strategy Game fans, before we begin this episode, I wanted to take a moment to plea with you in a way. I really would hope that you can consider joining our Patreon because for the price of three US dollars, which is really just the price of an expensive coffee, not even an expensive coffee, like a normal coffee, you can help support this show and all the things that go into it with the editing, the scheduling, a lot of work really goes into these shows. And by doing that, not only are you supporting what we do, but you're going to get all these episodes without the ads. And at this point, I know the ads are pretty ridiculous, but we have to keep this thing going. And unfortunately for us to keep this thing going viably, it has to be paid for. So if you wouldn't mind considering going to www.patreon.com backslash Podcast 
and considering, just for the price of a coffee, supporting us so that we can get rid of these ads, because I know they're getting pretty ridiculous. Anyway, without further ado, and joining me again is Ben. Welcome back, Ben. Thanks, Rob. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, man. We are gathered today at normal hours today, which is great to speak with the CEO of Stardock, Brad Wardell. Welcome to the show, Brad. Hi, good to be here. Yeah, very good to have you. I mean, there's a lot to talk about, and we're here really to talk about mostly galactic civilizations in its entirety, really, both three and four, mostly four and what's coming for four. So we wanted to maybe pick your brain a little bit about you know the, the development process behind four and where it's headed. It's been a while, hasn't it, Brad? I think we had you on the show a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's been a while. I've been now. I've been working on a, a different project. It's supposed to get announced pretty soon too, uh, that Rob is aware of. But yeah, the lot's been happening in the world of galactic civilizations, or say the universe of galactic civilizations, and gotten a really big team. The team on it now is actually the biggest Gaussian team we've ever had. <laughs> that ironically for the upcoming uh, what we call galactic civilizations for next. First of all, I'm going to address the elephant in my room. I don't know if it's in y'all's room, but the review I wrote for Galactic Civilizations 4 was, can I, can I say it's like basically like if I were to TLDR it, it would basically be that Galactic Civilizations 4 has a lot of potential, possibly the most potential out of any of the, any of the iterations of the series, but that it kind of fell short in some ways. And I'm curious to know what you, looking back on Galactic Civilizations 4, think of the game and where it's currently at. I would describe it as Galactic Civilizations 4 is far, far better than Galactic Civilizations 3 or any Galactic Civilizations game we've done, except that it's like having this amazing cake and then someone put a little rat turd on the top. And so as good as the cake is, there's still a rat turd on the top. And that rat turd, it comes in the form of the way planets are conquered. So the big metaphor change in Galactic Civilizations 4 was that the we now have a concept of core worlds and colonies. And this is really, really cool because you can have this vast empire without becoming a micromanagement hell because you can just, you only have to manage the core worlds, which even in a big galaxy might only have like a dozen. And you can have hundreds of colonies, which basically are self-sufficient to, and just feed in you know the numbers you want. You can do some minor upgrades. But is really in Galaxy 4, it was super easy to conquer these worlds. I mean, you could conquer them with a, you know, a fighter. And that seemed really cool on paper, right? That sounds like a great thing. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, now that the, these plants won't, you know, the, there's going to be a lot more action happening. But the AI would actually figure out that, yeah, I, I can conquer a planet with a single fighter. And since the AI is infinitely has infinite patience, it would literally calculate on its own that it would break up a fleet into 17 little fighters and spread them out so that every single one of your planets would be under siege. And so that was incredibly tedious to deal with, right? So you can take all the other really cool things in the game, but if you have that one thing, it, it would be like um, if you play Crusader Kings, and I know your audience does, it would be like if in Crusader Kings you had... 70 cities and that and the ai and that could conquer all the little cities you have with a, a foot soldier right it, you the, obviously your main you know london or whatever uh and your rome and other places are super tough to take and you don't have to worry about them but it would be really tedious if you're co if you're constantly getting hit by uh little gnats and ironically because the galsivs ai is is really good it would figure out this exploit we didn't program it to exploit the system and figured it out oh, you've just answered my question actually because i was going to say did, so you didn't program it to do this this is something that the ai has figured out how to do on its own yeah the ai is programmed with the goal of winning the game right and then it figures out how to do that and you know there's a so we never there's no if then to do that we just and so what would happen is that when we were playing like i play the game on small maps so having a handful of of colonies attack wasn't really a big deal. But if you're on a big map and you have 170 colonies, let's say, and the AI has figured out that it can go and attack 40 of them per turn, right? That's that's horrible. So we have that's something that a player sorry, Brad, I was ahead, just gonna say that's something that a player would do, isn't it? I a mean, player would never of, do that. 
right? Oh, so um, but I mean, it's the same. It's the kind of like min-maxing, gamey kind of way that certain players might approach the the problem. Like, oh well, I've figured out that I can just use one one fighter here to take a planet. It's thematically doesn't work at all. It's, it's well, players kind of like to make the the weapons are the stacks of doom, right? This is the opposite. Right. This right. is where you're making uh, stacks of, of insects or not even a stack, right? Because they'd be one ship fleets. And so humans like to make their stacks of doom and go around. And AI could totally take advantage of that by breaking its own fleets up into mini, mini fleets and going around it and taking all the planets that they had just conquered faster than the human could. Now, there are some players, right, who would probably enjoy that, but. It really didn't show up as a problem until we released it and players started playing on the bigger maps. And what started out as a kind of a, a cool feature on paper turned into a, a real pain. Even though if you look at the rest of the game, it's so much better. I mean, core worlds are amazing mechanics. The new way combat is handled in the game is better. The direct orders, the uh, or sorry, executive orders, those that's a really neat mechanic. We got the, the you have a, so much more control over your economy. There's a lot more distinction between the races in Gauss of Fourth and Gauss of Three, and on and on and on. But what good is all that if the fundamental conquest part of the game is horrible and ironically trivial to fix? And this is one of the reasons, like, if this had ironically been in a lengthy, let's say, traditional early access system, this would have got nailed, right? Well, this is a case of where we've come to rely too much on, say, Steam early access. Because we'd have been flamed for that so fast. And I'm like, you're right, that's a good idea. Boop, gone. Yeah, it's something that I made mention of in my review. I called it the whack-a-mole system, where it kind of felt like, yeah, as you said, the once you get into larger battles, larger wars, that the AI would start sending its like one ship fleets to, you know, the the most the furthest reaches of your empire and would hit it, and then they would go to the other side. And it, it's, I mean, like you said, it's it's a it's a very good, very good strategy, right? But it's it's annoying as an as a, like it's a strategy player. only the AI would do because it's never going to get bored. It's funny because it makes me realize often I see. In the community and on Steam reviews, particularly with 4X games, one of the big complaints is always AI, game AI, right? And um, I think the game AI in Galsiv right from the first game has always been very, very strong. But this is the kind of, I think this is the kind of game AI that people have been begging for, and yet it's still not good enough, you know, because the because when the AI learns to sort of game the system in a way that doesn't feel very fun or fair or particularly sort of, you know, realistic, then all of a sudden, like, people are complaining again. So it's kind of, it reminds me of that, a lecture that Soren Johnson gave on on game AI, where he was saying, you know, you've, you've got kind of good game AI and you've got fun game AI, and there's a sort of spectrum between the two that you really have to balance. Yeah, yeah. And anytime anyone criticizes AI in the future, like, yeah, I'm gonna, I point you to Gaussian Four's Metacritic because uh, if you read through it, they're just, it's all the same sort of frustration. Because anyone who plays Gaussian Four and and we're talking 1.0 of Gaussian Four, no patches, anything, and compares it to the latest best update to Gauss of 3. Gauss of 4 is just such a better game across the board. Just, just It's so much tighter. The pacing is so much better. But then you get, like I said, you you have pirates taking over your planets, right? That is incredibly frustrating. Like, oh, look, I have Mars. Oh, a pirate just took it. And that's cute the first time. It's not <laughs> cute the 15th time, though. <laughs> well, so Brad, with that, I mean, what, what are the goals with Galactic Civilizations for next. I mean, like as a as a like a, maybe even like a product page. Like, what are we looking at when it comes time to to look at the general features of what's coming next? Yeah, so it's a it is when people talk about like uh, the Steam version or what have you. The the thing is that the Gaussian four one you know one point X will never be on Steam. We're gonna literally start it with Gaussian four next when it comes to you know when in the future, which I can't say for you know obviously. Can't say when, but when that comes out for Steam, it'll be, you know, when we do a future Gaussian for Steam, it'll be that. And so you have a much better conquest system than we have. The ideology thing that we had in Gaussian 4 is going to be replaced with a cultural progress system. There's a lot more focus on the fleets and how you put together combat, uh, your ship combat. There's a lot of new civilizations. We've updated the U, updating the UI. Uh, I really do think the the big thing though will be the the fleets will be the thing that people notice the most. That there's going to be a concept of cruisers versus 
uh, fighters versus what have you, and that each will ha- it'll fa- allow them to have a rule. The, the rules in which these play out will make it so that you're having a combined fleet is very interesting. Whereas in all the other Galsiv games, even going back to Galsiv 1, it was always better to just put 15 battleships into a fleet and call it a day, which would never work in real time, in the real world, right? World War II, they, the British tried that a few times and got wiped out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so then if if the general concept for the game or the the expansion, the first expansion is an improvement across the board, like just in, in presentation, also in content, the other focus you say you're saying is on fleet combat and how basically, I, and I've seen you say this on the Discord. Is that like basically this is going to be your most war focused expansion you've ever made? No, uh, well, up to this point it is, but I would say it's more like addressing it. We, if you look back at Galsa Three, all none of the expansions dealt with the military aspect, and and we applauded for that at the time. And I I, I think it was the right move because a lot of these forex games had really become militaristic. If you look at Going from Civ 4 to Civ 5, Civ 5 was much more militaristic than Civ 4. So there at the time when we were making Galsip 3 and its expansions, there was a strong desire to like, hey, let's let's build up the diplomacy parts of the game and the cultural parts of the game and the exploration parts of the game. And I think now we're at a point like, no, you know, let's let's get a little bit of love back to good old fashioned war fighting. You see, um, I've been playing Galsiv 3 again recently since you've been also updating the, uh, that game too. And it was reminded to me very much, after about nine hours of play, I think um, I was like, man, this really is one of the only space 4X games where you can play really quite peacefully. You don't have to fight. You always have to maintain some kind of standing army to you know, to dissuade the barbarians from from congregating around the gates, so to speak. But they, you really can play quite peacefully, and it's so rare in forex games. And this is another request that we have from the community all the time: Is there a peaceful forex game? Is there a peaceful forex game? And you know, Galsiv series is one of those that really ticks that box. Yeah, Gals- and Galsiv Four does allow this and allows you now to play Galsiv Four next. Will let you play tall much more easily in ways that make sense to the player. So. For example, you can have racial abilities in which you literally uh, absorb a little bit of the be- of the background research and other stuff of other sibs. So that if you you don't if you don't want to have a huge empire, but you want to play as a very tall empire, you can do that and take advantage of that part of it. Is this part of the kind of drive that you're moving towards to reduce some of the like late game issues that you know forex games are? probably quite rightly perceived to have because um, you know along with the these activatable sort of end game scenarios that you've you've also put in there it seems to be a very similar kind of mechanic to you know wanting to play tall i think you know one of the things that i think gauss of four introduced and again it's it's like a like i said if you look at gauss of four and you take out if you ignored if you can ignore the rat turd on the top of the of the invasions there are some really amazing new mechanics, like the prestige victory condition, right? Like in hindsight, this seems like an, I think a lot of games are going to borrow from this because it's such a good mechanic. And I'm sure there's some game out there as something like it, but where you get points based on how well you're doing in a certain area. And then if you, when you get close, there are uh, missions you can go on that actually just give you prestige points to put you over the top so that when you know you're going to win anyways, but it's going to take you six more hours to get there, especially if you're playing on a big map. Now there's like, okay, look, I have I have 840 out of 1,000 prestige points. I'm going to win eventually. Sure. Um, but here's a mission that if it's that unleashes like a, a opens a uh, subspace hole in space and the dreadlords come pouring out. And if I can take them down, I get 150 prestige points. That's enough to get me over the top. And I think that's that's an innovation in Galsip 4 that I'd like to see uh, developed even further. And in fact, it is now that we have a bigger team, it's something we can develop further. I guess that's kind of a form of the double win condition then, you know, that where once you once the player starts winning and begins to snowball, then it allows them the option to to end the game quicker if they want. I think you know, a lot of 4X games actually lack that kind of thing because they're usually a little bit too over-concerned, I'd say, with balance, you know, balance in inverted commas. Oh, God, yeah, you know, that's, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it's, there is like this this belief that snowballing in strategy games is a bad thing. Like, 
No, it's not a bad thing. Once someone is obviously going to win, get it over with so they can move to the next game. Dragging Absolutely. it out with artificial stuff. Now, there's, which isn't to say there shouldn't be an occasional event that upsets the balance if there's a chance for someone to come back. But if it's over, you know, just get it over with. I, I just, I like snowballing. It's part of the genre as well. I mean, snowballing was a thing right from Master of Orion. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I remember at the playing Master Ryan and you'd, uh, all their, all of their, uh, fleet sizes were in U shorts. So you could actually break it to if you got, went past 65,000 ships in a fleet. Yeah, that's right. We, we've got a guy in our community who um, went through the code for Loom, uh, uh, you know, the, or, or, 100M, I think it's called, but it's like a, you know. A, yeah, the uh, LucasArts game. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, no, sorry, not Loom. No, uh, sorry, for Master of Orion, it's, it's move backwards, basically, move one backwards. But anyway, oh, okay. it, it, they retro engineered the code and um, he kind of went through the code. And yeah, <laughs> they found that bug in there. Like there's there's loads of crazy bugs in, uh, in the original Master of Orion, often to do with, you know, the kind of word size of the computer just kind of glitching out well, at the, various the points. The issue back then <laughs> is that you couldn't use floats and you, anything beyond the U short was a big problem. So because the, the computers were so slow. Sure. It's interesting because the people that I speak to in the community, particularly people who are like someone like Daz Tactic, for example, who is a really big fan of uh, Galsiv 3. And um, the one of the things that he says that he likes about uh, Galsiv is that it is one of those games where you kind of, when you've won, you, you kind of don't have to chug through it, if you know what I mean. Like um, he says he usually finishes games. If I remember right, and I think I'm pretty much the same with Galsiv, I tend to finish games with Galsiv where... I find that the attrition rate that I have with other Space 4X games is often quite high because you get to a certain point and then you kind of, you're just pushing counters around and sort of hoping that it's going to end at some point. So I think that's, it's nice that you've kind of focused on that in a sense. Yeah, and AI will, even the OS2 version of Galsiv back in the 90s when I was a kid and wrote it, uh, the AI would surrender, which at the time, again, this is, because a lot of people forget that Galsiv predates Master Ryan. And we had surrendering even back then is that the AI knows it's going to lose. Just surrender. You're done. Don't make the player spend you know 20 minutes coming out to your side of the galaxy to conquer your last planet. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So if we can circle back around to you know the next ideas and where we're going to be headed with that, what, what else can we expect? I mean, other than some... You know, like like I said, some combat improvements and stuff like that. Are are we looking at like basically what you wanted Galsip Four to be? Is that which is this kind of what you're like? I don't want to say a second chance, but is this an opportunity to maybe present a better game when it comes to Steam eventually? Well, absolutely. There's always that. I mean, like I said, if you take Galsip Four even as 1.0 is a really good game. If you can, like, ironically, it's the and you can't even mod it away the. Uh, in one in the current game, which again we're going to fix for uh, even the four point oh on Epic, but yeah, the what we want to make sure is that when it comes out, it's a lot closer to what we had in mind with Galsif Four, which is uh, it's. I wouldn't say it's like going to have everything I want. I, I would you know there's because we're looking at putting this out this spring, so it's it's going to be a you know continue iteration. There's more stuff we want to do on combat in the future. There's more stuff we want to do on diplomacy there's more stuff there's, we have a lot of a lot of ideas for the future too but what we do want to do is make sure it has the bones such that players who you know players who especially whether they're coming from Galsip 3 or they're coming from Stellaris or Endless Space can come in and go oh I really like this this is a di- and it's different enough from what I've played before but I also really enjoy you know what their its take on it so some of that means we have to be more innovative than you know a lot of times these forex games get stuck in a rut especially older ones in the genre which was something we were trying to address in gaussive 4 by the way right because i mean how many threads are there on uh, reddit and forex game about has anything changed in the forex genre and blah 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 so, well gaussive 4 introduced subspace streams and sectors that's that's pretty big no one's ever done that before as far as i know you know, and that's a big game change that requires a crazy amount of multi-threading to make work. When we get to, you know, when we come out with Galsif 4 next, you know, both for Epic and Steam and everywhere else down the line, we want to make sure it's 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 a, in a good place for the build on. And I've heard you kind of casually mention too that the team behind 
Galactic Civilizations Four now is the largest it's ever been. I mean, is that because have you have you brought back people to the team now? I mean, I know you probably went. I know you got a lot of projects in the works, and there's you know, of course, Sins of the Solar Empire Two, and that unannounced game you talked about. And I'm just curious. I mean, with with the team behind Galactic Civilizations Four, are you are you building it back up now to to work on? Next? Yeah, well, I mean, Starnex been hiring. Uh, I mean, a lot of people forget we were during the Galactic Four was made during the pandemic, and that made things way harder. It's basically the size I wanted the Galactic Four team to be. So, like, that was always a big challenge for that game because the ship date for Galactic Four was set in stone. The team size it was really hard to recruit for because of the pandemic. So, since the pandemic's been over, we've been able to hire up a lot more people. Can you talk about something you mentioned the other day where you said that you might start keeping a larger team on these games to kind of do something a little similar to what Paradox is doing with their custodian stuff? Yeah, in fact, uh, I, I always think that the Paradox needs more credit for this. I've never, I've never seen even an article about this. And it's like, it's really disappointing that they're like, this is one of the, a real innovation. You know, I, I like Paradox. So it's, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I, but I, I think that this is being me being objective. I think objectively, this is a good idea, not just because I like Paradox. And that is, when these games come out, you should just have a team assigned to them permanently. And the size of the team is based on the sales. So if the game, so like, this is something they did in Stellaris, and I think they're doing it now with Crusader Kings as well. I, I'm not positive on Crusader Kings, but I definitely did it with Stellaris, and that was to their their benefit because when a lot of people forget it, when Stellaris first shipped, it was rough. Yeah, and but they kept at it. It made it sold well enough to keep a team on it, and that's as opposed to the traditional model, which is what Stardock has also followed as a traditional model. Which is, you make a game, you release it, you keep a little maintenance team to do bugs, but then the team moves on to something else. Whereas with Galaxy 4 Next, we're going to keep a full development team on it permanently. Right. And that's a lot about like the whole games as a service thing that people are talking about recently, you know, like where games don't really just release at 1.0 and then that's it, right? There's, there's, a growing trend in the industry for games to receive pretty substantial updates, you know, months, years down the line. And that's what I think Paradox has done extraordinarily well with Stellaris. It, 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 not only was they, were they able to address some of the like base issues with the game, but then they were able to add content and flesh out aspects of the game that weren't really that well fleshed out to begin with. And yeah, like you said, I think that it, it deserves more attention because their custodian staff for Stellaris has been I mean, game changing really in a lot of ways, but it does seem like it's kind of bleeding over into, I mean, it, it, I do you think you're right. I think that Crusader Kings 3 does have a similar team and I, I just think that should be the standard from now on. Yeah, I think it's it's tough to get over the idea that of games as a service, really. It's but not as a service that we're trying to constantly squeeze money out of our customers, but service as, hey, we're, the release of the game is the beginning and you're going to just keep developing it and the, based on the sales of the game. And that means like, you know, the free, you can make the new content when I have to contract to artists or whatever, but this, the continued sales of the game will fund new free updates to the game itself. And I know a lot of people get on Paradox for their DLCs, but I don't think people f realize just how much free content Paradox releases for their games. Yeah, they do release a lot of free stuff alongside. I mean, Stellaris has had uh, free you know, the free LC stuff with every single DLC, I think, pretty much, or at least the major ones, the the ones that bring gameplay mechanics changes or additions. So I think that's that's nice because it, it basically makes people feel that they're not just being wrung out, you know, the, the money was being wrung out of them. And I think I don't think this paradox could really continue with their DLC model if they didn't put out some free content too, because we know what gamers can be like and they're very vocal about when they feel like they're being they're being wrung for money. Brad, I'm interested to know what have been the technical challenges for Galaxy 4? Because you, you've kind of mentioned briefly that, you know, with the size of the uh, the new sectors mechanic you've got, you know, there was kind of multi-threading sort of challenges, that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't think most people realize just how big the maps and the scale of a Galactic Civilizations game compared to anything else on the market. Because this is a game where you can fluidly zoom from a spaceship orbiting Earth all the way out to the entire Milky Way galaxy in one screen, right? And where the view actually changes multiple times on the way. And think from a pathfinding point of view, 
<clears throat> if you look at a, a screenshot of a Galaxy and Galaxy 4, where you have all these sectors, you can actually have a, a case where there's a sector that is thousands and thousands of tiles away from your uh, your current spot. And the AI has to pathfind that. And the player, even the player has to pathfind it. And you know, most games, like you know, people will talk about Master Ryan, but Master Ryan, what pathfinding is there in Ma- Master Ryan, yeah. right? It's 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 a node-based system, which is not a... That's not a criticism. I'm just saying that's that's their design, and I think even Stellaris uh, is basically now. They, I think they got rid of their free movement, didn't they? It is node based. Yes, they they moved they they moved away from the free movement stuff um, completely. Right. Whereas in Galaxy Four, it's both. You have sectors which can contain like dozens of stars in them, so they're like a map on themselves. And then connected through a node to another sector with a bunch of stars. So it's like both combined. And I think it makes it, I mean, and you can still play the game. If like you go, well, I don't like that new feature. You can still just play a single sector, big galaxy. We know this because we often, uh, this is another thing that we get in the community is people going, I really want to, I want a game with a huge map. What we, what have we got? And Gals is one of those that we can point people at. I guess when you've got a, a node-based game, like something like Master of Orion, uh, the original game was, was node-based and uh, Stellaris, the, you can use slightly simpler search algorithms, but when you've got like a massive hex field, you know, and in over multiple sectors, this is you're going to have to use some kind of abstraction and some sort of I don't know what kind of things are you using to kind of break this problem down because that sounds like a difficult complex. Lots of multi-threaded work. Well, one we're t- we're turn-based, so that helps a little bit. Secondly, because. Uh, yeah, I turn in Gaussiv four on these giant maps, or in Gauss. Well, let's use Gaussiv three. People would say, "Well, I'm playing on such and such, and it it takes like a minute or two to finish a turn." You're like, "Well, how many players do you have?" And I'll say, "Well, like you know, eighty. <laughs> and, and how big's your galaxy? Well, it's the largest. And what kind of machine do you have? Well, it's a core i five, you know, dual core. It's like, yeah, I mean, even if you can, even if you can do all the pathfinding for all the thousands of ships." that a player has in one second that, and you have 80 players, that's 80 seconds, right? Right there. Just the, which is incredibly fast. Now, luckily most people, I think we now require at least four cores. So we, you know, we can, you be using four cores at the same time when we're calculating paths and all that kind of stuff. And I remember when we were talking before and you were discussing elemental, I think pretty much all of your big releases have really kind of pushed the, the technology of uh of the you know the forex game industry forward in some way is is that a is that a fair comment? Well, I th- yeah, Elemental being the b- famous bridge too far, right? Where uh, that game, I, I'm still uh, that game. I think about that game all the time. <laughs> I know. I remember. This is the one thing that I remember clearly from our last interview was that you you said, and I I remember thinking, is is he being hyperbolic or is he being literal here? But you said there's not a day goes by when I don't think about Elemental. <laughs> Do you remember? No, that? To, and, I, and here we are three years later, and I tell you, I think about that. It, we were so close. If we had just had 64, if it had just been a couple years later when 64-bit PCs were common and we could have focused on that, it yeah. would have been, it would have been a giant, I mean, it would have a huge following, I think, today because it had so much cool stuff. I mean, dynasties, uh, genetic, I mean, stuff that we like think is really cool and things like Crusader Kings. I mean, you had children that inherited their visual elements of their parents. And this is in 2009. Yeah, right. It was an ambitious game without a doubt. I'm interested to know, actually, is there any kind of elements of that elemental game that, you, that are starting to sort of creep back into some of your newer games? Would you say, like, do you, do you find that? Uh, nothing that's shipped uh, no, that we, okay. has been announced yet. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely doing a lot. I mean, now we have engines and tech that can do this stuff a lot more feasibly. And before I uh, hand over to Rob again, I've just got one more ke- question that's kind of on the technical side of things. Uh, you were talking in the Explominate community recently about um, how you are increasingly using AI tools to assist in, in games development from from feeding in images of the Drengin into, you know, into something like Stable Diffusion and then uh, getting it to spit out you know new models new poses new characters this kind of thing and uh you know sort of code writing tools as well uh, how are you embracing this this kind of crazy ai thing we're going through right now and oh a lot as much as possible all the time every day as much as so we we have 30 years of art and it's amazing you can feed ai this art and get some really spectacular results 
with it. You know, it's, and we're training it with our own stuff. So I don't, you know, we don't really see an ethical issue because it's our stuff. Sure. And we can get some really amazing results. The, the area I've been playing with it, let me give you an example of how I'd like to use it in the future. And I have it working in Galsif 4 next, but I, there's some inconsistencies that are going to keep me from being able to ship it But I for next, but maybe next next. And that is you create a race and have the AI generate your a uh, default backstory for your created race based on the things you chose. And that's pretty neat. And we actually had that working, but uh, unfortunately, the uh, I was complaining online that they kept they keep nerfing because if you create an evil race, it doesn't like it gets really. Uh, <laughs> yes, there's ChatGPT particularly. There's a I, I can get it to do stuff that it doesn't want to do, but then it scolds me afterwards. <laughs> so it's yeah, like- <laughs> I, well, and the thing is, is I, it's not like I can we can want to get in the habit of having to send out a patch to implement Dan or or whatever into the system. And we're not, and we're using DaVinci for this. So, right. but we actually did have a code. We actually did code it into the game where you created a custom sieve. It would f- fill the backstory for the race you created with a default setting, as opposed to the generic template that we have, which was like, this sieve is good at some things and bad at other things. Like, well, how very, how creative this, at least this would be something default. And, for, if the player wants to write their own, they certainly can, but it, it's certainly better than the default bland thing, which is what 99% of players, you know, just stick with as are the default. So for anybody listening who's not quite sure what we're talking about, um, some of the AI text tools like ChatGPT and um, uh, which one was it you were saying you're using, Brad? Uh, it was uh, DaVinci. Da it's, uh, it's, it's an open AI. So, so these are these open AI tools. Basically, they they aren't quite mind boggling in what they can do. Like I was, I was getting it to tell a story, and then you know halfway through the story, I'll stop it and say, okay, from the perspective of character X, what do you think of character uh, B and her motivations, and you know, break down uh, you know what you think her philosophical idea you know ideas are, and it will do it. And it's I've never ever seen a, a machine. I mean, it's it's all it's smoke and mirrors. It's an illusion. I think you know compared to sort of like real ai this is this is kind of like 2.5d you know like this is like doom you know uh, <laughs> it's doomed to going towards real 3d games it is smoke and mirrors but it's incredibly realistic <laughs> it could do some crazy oh things. absolutely well consider this like in rob's review he he complained about one of the generic things that the ai said to them in a dialogue right and it's like can you imagine well that wouldn't be a problem if i just had hooked that stuff up to ai right because right? I don't know what it's going to say. Who knows what profane, horrible thing I might have said to Rob then. You know, I'm going to come over there and skin you alive. Or God, who knows? But uh, but still, that's that's where we're going. And it won't be just us. Everyone's going to be doing this in the next couple of years. Because it's, I mean, you can imagine, yeah. consider this scenario, early access, an early access benefit. Because you can't, the cost would be too much to just to have it be part of the game. Because eventually the cost of the AI would overwhelm the, you know, the price the player paid. But imagine the early access perk of it. We, you get this and then we, then it archives what it generates for the final game. That's yeah. pretty compelling. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. We were kind of joking around about it on discord and we were just, you know, cause it, it, it feels like AI, like that kind of like the, you know, I forgot how, how, how's it called? Like, what is that like type of AI? Called? Uh, it's uh, what's your language model? Yeah. Okay. That's right. So yeah, that type of like language model AI stuff is coming, it's coming so far so quickly. And it just, it would seem, it would just be wild to watch this level, this like this area of, of technology kind of expand to the point where it's like basically writing games, you know, <laughs> like it's just, you know, like, Hey, uh, AI create a Forex game and you know, it, it pops up some weird ass stuff that you're just, you know, I don't think we're that far away. I mean, like we're not. Oh, we're pretty close to where, Consider this. So Gaussian for maybe next, next, because we have this working almost now where you create custom sieve and now it does write out the text. It generates what the, your alien faces look like. Yeah. See, that's crazy. I think Stellaris will be able to get, well, I mean, I don't, uh, Stellaris would, could use this almost now, right? Because they don't have 3D models as their aliens. Yep. Right. Right. So it could generate those. I mean, you could pop in through into stable diffusion or Dolly or Midjourney the aliens from uh, Stellaris and have new aliens. Yeah. And the thing I also thought too, is like a lot of times where you guys have event pop-ups and, or just any game, a lot of games, they have like event pop-ups and there's generally like some sort of art that's associated with that event pop-up, you know, just being able to use that kind of stuff, that stable diffusion and stuff to generate 
art that's re- remotely related to that that incident and you could have something for that for every type of different you know event and stuff oh we're doing that for sure we, so we we already do that now when we play so when we play the game internally the it generates that and then it stores it so if, like if we were if this was a like you can imagine our, our future games on when we do early access we'll have it be doing that and they'll save it and upload it to us so again, early access perk, but Gaussian Four Next has that. What you just described, it, it you know trained on our art, so it's not. It's going to be it uses our existing trained stuff, but because we have a lot of you know, we have a lot of event images to go with. Right. Yeah, and and like you said too, the the idea of having the responses that I get from NPC interactions or the the, the computer AI factions, you know, the, having them respond in a way that's you know, that's AI generated and it feels, I mean, it could be, like you said, almost like a toss of the coin, right? Depending on how they are feeling and maybe just depending on how the AI is feeling or whatever. I know that they don't feel, but like the randomness and the, the like wealth of, of different types of responses would be just amazing to kind of see. And, you know, it, it might one day, you know, give me the kind of response that I'm looking for to have some sort of like really in character, you know, flavor text that I really appreciate. Or even to argue with the, uh, the alien ambassador in real time. Yes, that would be That's awesome. coming. I would love it. Right? You, can, you can picture that AI generated responses you can give, and then the AI responds to your responses and affects your diplomatic relations and other stuff in the game. That's not far away. That's probably within, I would say, three years. Yeah, that's great. I can't that's wait. In the ga- that would be fall within the Gaussian for... Uh, you see, that's, that's going to be a game changer because I think that if we're looking at the game experience as the, as the top goal, um, one of the things that can dilute that experience to some extent is the, as the player breeds some familiarity with the game, sees the all of the events, and the, you know traditionally the, the the only way really to deal with that is just to keep producing more content, and that's more writers, you know, it's more art assets having to be and used. more translation. Yeah, so that's sure, a, right. that's the dirty secret is the translation. But with yeah, the AI right. stuff, it's already translated; it does it right. in real time. That's fantastic, and so I mean, this this is going to bring some elements of like. I mean, I've got fond memories of playing the old text adventure games in the in the sort of mid eighties. It's like the first games I ever played as a little kid was stuff like Zork based, you know, games. And I think that 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 kind of interface has really fallen out of favor. But the the potential for AI to be you know to be engaging with the player in this now, I like this idea that you could be arguing with a diplomat in in uh, Gaussian Four, and it's you know the Drengen's threatening to eat you, and you're sort of like, no, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll no, I'll eat you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, right now when you talk to the Bing chat uh, beta, it will provide uh, three po- uh, three possible things you might want to respond with to what it says. So it would be, it's already doing that. In this case, we were just doing it as part of the game. But yeah, that, I, I real, really think that that could be a real game changer with regards to you know content generation and interactive content generation as well, because you, you've you've just exponentially increased the amount of experiences that a player can have just rather than just have this kind of fixed, static, Stellaris style events programming, you know, and story trees that they've got. Yeah, this will all be procedurally generated probably with the next five years, and. Uh, you, and not just the stories, but the ships and everything. When you create a random race, it'll be a real random race. And I mean, the spaceships too. 3D models, everything. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild as you're talking about this. Like, I think that the Forex genre and some, I mean, some other strategy subgenres are the only ones that really will benefit from this from at the beginning, right? Because I think as you, you talk about it, like we're, it's the, it's the only genre that I'm aware of other than maybe role-playing games where there is some like serious reliance on procedural generation. So like being able to hand that off to an AI program like that would just be really cool to see. Absolutely. Yeah. This is like I said, where we're investing pretty heavily is getting going on this. It's it's pretty exciting. Well, let me swing back around to Gauss of War next because we did talk earlier this episode a long it feels like a long time ago because now we got kind of like sidetracked with this all AI AI talk. I love it though. But at the beginning you, you talked about how the <laughs> as you put it, the rat turd on this rather nice cake is the invasion system. And I'm I'm curious to know, like you didn't actually talk about how you're going to address it. I mean what what systems are you going to put in place to, or maybe how are you going to change it to make this feel like less of a, a whack-a-mole system? Yeah, so what you'll do, what we've already done, is that planets will have a resistance and your every type of ship will display a uh, conquest ability. 
So that which in the new combat system, there isn't going to be mass drivers versus armor and phasers versus it's just attack, defense, and uh, conquest ability. And under the, I mean, there's still going to be phasers and photons and and you know other stuff, but they're they're not going to be a rock paper scissors type thing. Instead, the composition of your fleets are what matters now. But the conquest ability will go up against the resistance ability. And if it doesn't effectively, if it's going to take more than a handful of turns, it'll just say, no, you can't do it. It's really pretty straightforward, actually, as a, as a solution, right? Because, so, like I said, the, a, the AI does not mind co- laying siege to a planet for 20 turns. But, <laughs> right? So, it'll, it'll put, you know, 40 of your colonies under siege in a, at, in a single turn, even if they're going to take 20 turns to do. Well, what you do is you go, no, I, uh, if you want to do that, I'm going to make sure my plan is upgraded enough that that can't happen, which is what they do in Crusader Kings, right? You build, if you don't have catapults or whatever siege weaponry, as soon as they put up walls, you're not taking over that city anymore. And one of the first things players did was in Crusader Kings, you, you build a wall, you know, for your towns. Right. And, and even just inherent technology, just the growth of your colony or, or your tech will eventually make those even the colony world's out of way out of the league of a, a fighter or a handful of fighters or a small fleet to just take it over. Yeah, no, that, that actually, it does sound like a pretty simple solution, but it does work. And I think that still kind of goes in line with what your, at least the philosophy behind the design decision was before where like you wanted it to be like less reliant on transport ships, which I, I do agree gets annoying. But if you're able to send out, like, you know, if you've, if you've got a, a moderately defended planet, you're going to need to send a moderately capable fleet, which I appreciate. So, right. and then the for rat turd could have been solved by just having space walls. <laughs> it's like, oh. Let that be like why early, a big early access thing would have solved that in the, like a three hour fix. Yeah, space walls. That's all you needed. <laughs> well, the other thing too that I, I remember you mentioning that was going to be kind of a big change, and I another one that I really appreciate is that you're going to with your technology tree or technology choices, you're going to move towards like a system where you have a a, a group of technologies that are closer to breakthrough, and you can choose either of those or you can go back to the technologies maybe that are still available that maybe aren't as close. So you're basically given the choice of maybe you know, making, making, or getting through to a technology that's closer in, in your, you know, in your research progress or still going, maybe just, you know, defying that and going and and choosing something that was still, that wasn't close to breakthrough, but basically gives you a lot more choice, but still provides you some, you know, some push in the right direction, I guess. Is that a good way? Yeah. So the, and this part's already done. So essentially the game will pop up. Here are three, up to three technologies that we think that our, our scientists have a are inspired by or have had a you know inspiration for, and it chops the cost of that tech in half to research. So that's pretty tempting. It's not early on. It's not very tempting. Like ooh, I can get it in you know, <laughs> but three turns as opposed to four. Yeah, yeah, ooh, right. But later on, that's a pretty big deal. And so, but right on the screen, you can see all the other texts you could possibly get. So you'll have like, if you can picture in your mind, you know, you have three texts that like, here are the ones that were inspired by, and you get a, a big 50% discount for these. And then on the right side of the screen, you have all the other texts that are available to you that you could research, but they cost normal. Yeah. No, I like that system a lot more. I think that's definitely, it. it it's actually pretty innovative and it, it, it gets, it still, it takes the best of what I think is a random tech selection that you guys were using and what some other the other like Stellaris as we've mentioned a few times old world other forex games are utilizing that same model but also still providing you enough choice and i mean sometimes you just maybe want to still beeline for whatever other technology you're looking for because it's you know it's going to fit your particular situation better but you know of course if you have technologies that are very close to being you know broken through with then you might take those instead so i like that i like this system a lot yeah it, it's working out pretty well it works out really well for the ai too <laughs> but that which was i tell you that was a tough very tough thing on the ai should you know what ais are not good at is gambling like the, should the ai hit that reroll button oh my god 
That, there's no AI for that. That's just, we have to guess. Speaking of AI, Brad, I'm interested to know, are you, I, I remember you talking about in the development of Galsiv 3, I think that you were using some machine learning elements to train the to train the AI to play to the point where it actually became pretty brutally effective. Uh, is that, are you still doing that with Galsiv 4? Well, I would say that what we do is, it, it's not machine, the term, now that the term is much more locked down, what we did in Galsiv 3 is during early access, we could we could record what text people are researching, what order, and then feed that to the AI to look at. Right, okay. It, we haven't changed it underneath the covers. For Galsiv 4 playing, we couldn't do that. And that was tough. Uh, but this new Galsiv, Galsiv 4 Next, we can go and, re- and put that back in. That's interesting because it allows the AI to be able to, you know, kind of see what it is that, that sort of the most effective players are using in order to win their games then. Yeah, even Galsiv 2 did that. That was one of the reasons why Galsiv 2 was, at, especially for the time, had such a good AI, is that it was much more hard-coded than Galsiv 4. It would literally, uh, every game that someone played with it, that we're already on the internet and we had, well, ironically, uh, the uh, nowadays we would get in trouble, right? Because we're uploading your game data. You can literally go on and see what texts everyone researched and it would upload to us. And then AI would literally follow the path of the players who did the best. Brad, I'm interested to know, how is it that the AI players go about going through the game? Like, do they play to win in a really hardcore way? Or are they, is it more like the sort of Civ Five thing where they're just kind of doing their thing and they're not necessarily racing towards victory? Well, in, in both in Civ Five and Civ Five, the the AI in that game is trying to win the game. The, the, it's only moderately familiar, aware that the player exists in Civ oh, Five. Is it Civ Six? I'm thinking. I'm sorry. I'm, I might be getting the mix of. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know how Civ Six. I remember is done. one. They they did um, actually move it so that and people were disappointed to hear this originally, but the, apparently the, the AI doesn't try to win too hard in it's either Five or Six. But um, actually, it kind of makes the game better in a sense because Civ's not necessarily about a brutal cutthroat race to to the end you know i think that there's something to be said for having these civilizations around you that are behaving like a civilization would not necessarily trying to win a game um is, so that's kind of what i was getting at does the do the does the ai is are they trying to play the same game as you in the sense that they're trying to work through the game mechanics in a way that will leverage a really big advantage to win victory conditions or are they kind of just sort of trying to grow a civilization and be a be a buffer for the player to kind of bump into and interact with no, the, the AI is trying to win, but it is prevented from trying to win in certain ways. So it is blocked from trying to get, we used to allow it to win through a technological victory, but players really hated having their game end because someone got a technology victory. Yep. But other than that, they try, they have a particular, based on the type of race they are, they have a particular victory goal that is, that's influenced by what type of race they are. And then they, they pursue that path on how to do it. They tr- you know, treat, other they like they don't understand that the human is a human right the player is a you know they are all all the other players as far as the AI is concerned are just other players and it just they're either assets or liabilities as far as the ai literally treats different players as either an asset or a liability if they're a liability they look to what is it that they have available to them to hurt them and all in the goal of reaching its victory condition, which is either cultural or diplomatic or military, but like I said, not technological. In Gauss of Four, of course, there's also uh, prestige now. That's interesting. And is that following on from how uh, Gauss of Three also works? Was it a similar kind of a similar approach to the way that the AI plays? Yeah, it's 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 essentially the same approach as Gauss of Three and Gauss of Two. Uh, and it's a winning approach, obviously, because it's worked in all in the games before. So, <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, players want the players want to feel like I want the AI players to feel like I'm playing against. They're like people without the griefing. Yeah, <laughs> and we true. all know how few people play multiplayer. Yeah. So, I think that's that's actually really important. Right. I think I've always felt like I wanted the AI to play enough to challenge me, but never enough to beat me. <laughs> a good, they're I, a good loser. Yeah, I just want them to be good losers. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that's that's the best way I could put it. Is that you know, I've I've never really. That's why I don't think I ever crank the difficulty up because I want I want it to be challenging and I want there to be some like pivotal fights, pivotal battles, pivotal moments in my games. But I never want to lose. 
Well, we now know that AI griefing cause, costs about 10 Metacritic points. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it costs a lot of money then. <laughs> it's funny because I like to put yeah. the difficulty up to to see how, you know, how, how it will beat me. And I remember I went through a phase of just automatically ramping every game up to like one of the hardest settings and Galsiv 3 absolutely wrecked me. Even early on, this is like before Retribution. I think it must have been around Crusade. <laughs> I was just like, God, this game's really hard. <laughs> so I've kind of like... Well, challenging AI, it's not the same thing as a griefing ai right griefing is where you're you're exploiting a game mechanic in a way that's extremely not fun yeah it works but it's the protoss it's a starcraft equivalent of cannon rushing yeah 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 Yeah, and so as we wrap things up brad i'm just curious i had a question regarding your frequent reference to next and it's like it's basically it's, it's wider availability i mean are you looking at next the same way as you did post crusade are you going to be bundling like is, is is next basically like the next version the the version that most people will be seeing yeah it's the equivalent of like crusade was to galsip 3 except this time there won't be a cuz this was always a headache with galsip 3 is that we had basically two different development or support paths we had to do all the people who didn't have crusade and all the people who did and right. you'd see this on the forums because you'd go, oh, yeah, I didn't like Galsip 3 and I blah, blah, blah. I said, what do you have Crusade? What, well, no, what's that? And like, Ugh, you know, and so this time, yeah, there will only be the equivalent of the of next will be is like Crusade. And it's the only version that will be available anywhere else, you know, other than Epic, which will have both. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, anything else you want to ask, Brad? Or sorry, anything else you want to ask, Ben, before we wrap things up here? Uh, no, I think we've covered most of the bases. I was really interested to hear about the tech side of things because, um, you know, I'm into that kind of thing. And I think the audience find that interesting too. Um, but yeah, I think Brad's answered that pretty well. It's interesting to hear how Stardock are approaching, you know, the new technological challenges um, face on really and just using using some of the, the new tools that are available and not sort of shying away from them. Yeah, I think the key thing is you just got to make sure you're training it on your own stuff, right? Because I, I actually don't have a problem with mid-journey and training in general, but it's not an area where for personal use, but I think if you're a corporation and you're using it, AI stuff, you need to be, you need to take into account that you don't want to be costing anyone their job and we're hiring artists. So it's definitely AI work is definitely not uh, costing anyone's jobs. It just means our artists get to do a lot, get a lot more done. Yeah, right. And you're going to be, you know, you're still going to be hiring people for tools and that kind of stuff. So it's not like, you know, uh, there's, there's some kind of coming Armageddon of programmers all going to be, yeah, that whole thing about learn to code. Oh, exactly. Yeah, and writers too. I mean, we're always contracting with writers and stuff and editors. So yeah, there's. Yep. I think that what will happen. Well, that's a whole different podcast, which we can do another time. Is just on how <laughs> yeah, sure. AI is going to affect game development. Yeah, I mean, as a final point to that, and something that you you said reminded me of this. But I, when I was interviewing one of the old world members, they were saying that. Like the, the team behind Mohawk Games, they were saying that they actually, it's one of the artists, the main, main artists, they were using AI to create, I mean, there's so many characters and I'm not sure how familiar you are with Old World, Brad, but. Uh, yeah, there we help fund it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I didn't know how much, you know, how much more you went into it, but, you know, there's thousands of characters in that game and almost every single one of them have their own portrait. And so what he was using was basically AI to create these faces and then he would he would manipulate them in ways that would be that would fall in line with their like art style. Yeah, what they would do is um, they would draw the the portraits, right? And the first portraits were you take Soren and uh, Layla and the rest of the team, and they would you know they had photos, and then they would draw. You know, the artist would then make portraits with that, and they can feed feed those portraits into AI to get even more portraits. Right. Yeah. No, that's it's wild. I do want to talk. I think we do. We should make that podcast. We should talk to you more about how you think that the development of future games will be affected. But yeah, I mean, in the meantime, Brad, it's been awesome talking to you again. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to not only discuss Galsip for Next, but a lot of what's going on behind the scenes with the AI and how it's developing games and how it's helping your development of games. I really appreciate it, Brad. It's an exciting time. Thanks for being here, Brad. Really appreciate it. All right. Good to talk to you guys. This was Rob, Ben, and Brad for Explominates. And until next time, keep exploring.